your favorite Disney movie? Ooh. Wow. I know. Ooh. Well, now that Pixar is owned by Disney, probably Nemo. Really? Escape. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the official WNRG podcast. We believe the best knowledge is knowledge that is shared. Throughout our podcast journey, you'll hear advice from thought leaders, gain insight into areas of expertise other than your own, and hear the inspiring stories of others. This production is made possible by the dedication of our core team. I'm Tara DeLucia. I'm Carmen Pantoja Evans. And I'm Brittany Lemaire. We are looking forward to hearing what topics are important to you. Be intentional. Stay curious. And inspire others. You can share your thoughts on our WNRG Buzz page or by tagging us. Hashtag WNRG Podcast Series. All right, so today in the studio we have Ross Loggerblade. And I will more than likely get the department and segment that you help run wrong. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to you. <laughs> Value-based strategies. Value-based strategies. That's right. So can you uh, give us your, your title here? Uh, Associate Vice President of Value-Based Strategies. Uh, and then, you know, because we've just gone through the whole new workday process, uh, then we have a colon, and then I have Care Decision <laughs> Insights after that because there are a few of us who have leadership roles in value-based strategies that – Kind of go after different uh, strategies or programs, initiatives, et cetera, that create value. That's really exciting. And then uh, Care Pathway Collaborative is something very new and still very much under development. But what is that again? Care Pathway Collaborative. Some people know it as super off, um, but we're trying to find ways. So they think of the ICD 2.0 team and the pillars, and so uh, the Simplified Care Experience under Pillar 3. We're trying to find ways for physicians to be able to work with us, typically through the prior process, communicate with us using technology that makes their, their lives and their staff's lives much easier. So it makes it more efficient. But along the way, we believe that if we can understand their plan for our patient and there's an opportunity for quality and value, that we can have that discussion with them. Not in a crisis situation this is what typically happens in the prior process today where you're calling me about something you want to do. It's Friday. It's something sure. the patient's going to be here for for Tuesday. If I want to have a conversation with you about doing something different, you've already told the patient. The prior process today is to come confirm what I already told my patient. And I don't believe, and I've said this to a number of people, that many physicians want to go back to their patient and say, I called your insurance company and I've changed my mind. No, no. <laughs> or I've changed my mind. Right. Your insurance company had a conversation with me and I'm going to do something different than what I told you. They don't want to do that. I don't want to make them do that. Um, so if we can be in a position to be a little bit more upstream with doctors to say, mm -hmm. you have this patient, do you have a plan? If they can tell us about the plan, maybe we can have conversations about where quality and cost is delivered, not for something that's done in three days, mm -hmm. but for something that they expect to be coming in three weeks or three months. Good. And again, using technology to make it take a few minutes instead of a few hours, that's, that's what we're all about. So that's exciting new work and hope to see some of that on the street here next year. Can you give me an example of a value-based strategy? Or Sure. Um, Care Decision Insights, which um, has been around for a few years now. It, it, it started out as something else. We called it Medicare Targeted Contracting, and there was a lot, of, uh, uh, a lot of time spent gathering information around physicians' episodic costs. Mm -hmm. So not just what happens on that day in that physician's office, but maybe how you might handle the treatment of, let's talk about like a hip replacement. So from the time you present to the physician – 
that you're having pain until the time that you're back to walking your dog or playing golf or whatever your normal activities of daily living were. We tried to understand that because the variation in that tells you a lot about how people order, right, or or uh, steer people through the healthcare system. So we started to look at that and then realized that, you know, there's a lot also to say about quality that's delivered in that front uh, by the various physicians that touch those members or, or patients. And so we started to also try to evaluate and uh, with a, a whole lot of help, in fact, leadership from the from our chief medical officer and, and their team, trying to make sure that we could define quality in a way that we could, first of all, collect the information uh, typically from claims information, but also uh, that when we went to talk to people about quality, we were talking about things that were meaningful uh, to the physician. So, um, and, and that may be some of the, the greatest challenges. There, There's information you can collect, but is it going to change the ultimate trajectory of someone's health? Because if you're not, you're probably not going to keep the attention of the physician and you end up in a position where you're, you're there to talk about the cost of care and you can't be that single dimensional. And you had kind of touched on an episode. So here at Humana, whenever we define an episode for a member, is that from the day one they walk into the office until they are then, you know, through the process of either having, you mentioned the hip replacement as mm -hmm. an example. So whenever they are then out and released from care, is that considered an episode? Jonathan Reiskamp and there's some other folks on his team that would try to define that, you know, very tightly, that there are certain days and dates uh, that we would start and stop those episodes, but you know, generally speaking, you want to treat everyone fairly, so you don't. You, you may not talk about it being well. The follow-up appointment is the end of that episode because some people might be able to have their follow-up appointment eight days after surgery, and some it may take thirty days after surgery. So, there, there are rules I would say as to how you capture the episode, and there's a whole lot of science that goes into that. That's over uh, above my. <laughs> Above my level of understanding as to how we do that, but uh, luckily at Humana, we're, we're very fortunate to have a, a team of people that are absolutely fantastic at putting that together. So I'm interested. Can you share more about how long you've been at Humana? What other roles sure. have you held, and you know what brought you to this role? Uh, so since about 2005, um, I was hired. Uh, I lived in Rochester, Minnesota at the time, and uh, Rich Johnson, who's at Humana, he's in Chicago. Um, he called me because we had worked together prior to that time at Aetna, which was a, had acquired Prudential Healthcare, and so we were both at Peru and kind of went through an acquisition. And in that time, we got to know each other during that. We both lived in Florida at that time. But um, yeah, I was I worked for Mayo Clinic, and I was he asked me to if I'd be interested in coming down and leading the National Transplant Network, which was organ transplants and stem cell transplants, and of course Mayo the time and probably still is was one of the largest transplant centers on the globe and um, had spent a lot of Fridays sitting in their organ selection or patient selection committees and wow. also negotiated all the terms with all the payers so I didn't know transplantation from the health plan side so much as I'd seen their contracts but I certainly understood the journey of the patient the criteria for matching and then how physicians think about when you have that gift of life, how do you maximize the value of that? So decided to take that role and uh, join Humana and, and had that role and, and led that team for about a decade. That's an interesting job. I, you know, everyone I hired along the way, too, I was, you know, it was always like, can you handle tragedy and miracle on the same day? Because that's <laughs> that is interesting because you're you were a small enough team and, and the clinical team that really had that, you know, member 
interaction, you know, that, uh, on the phone and, and trying to help those folks kind of through what is obviously a very challenging mm-hmm. journey. We we sat a little further back from that, but we still had to understand, you know, who was getting a transplant that day. And, you know, there's a story uh, I certainly remember about a little boy who uh, I got a, a, a picture sent to me because he finally got his heart transplant. But he got his heart transplant only because the first attempt, the heart that they transplanted never really functioned because the the boy that it came from died because he was beat to death by his father. And so they, but it was a heart and a match for him. And so they uh, tried to move ahead with that. And then of course um, that heart failed and they got a second heart only because a little girl drowned in a lake. So they got that heart. And, you know, so having kind of been through that process, you know, I understood, I understood when coming to Humana that, you know, you're, you're really dealing with a tragedy, you know, usually unless, you know, it's a kidney or a, they do some things now with livers, but um, most of those people are getting organs and being given a second chance at life because someone else has met some tragic end. So, but Tragedy yeah. and miracle in the same. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I never really thought Resiliency. about it. That's all mm-hmm. I can kind of think of is how resilient you, you mm-hmm. have to be and try to remain objective. Do you have any you know, coping things that you would have <laughs> to do? I was thinking the same no. more like no, there's focus on the just, good. Yeah, just, yes. I mean, focus on the fact that uh, for every member of ours to get a transplant, hopefully that, you know, that they're, first of all, um, I don't even know how I would describe how grateful mm-hmm. you would be, but that you understand the responsibility of caring for yourself, you know, going forward. Um, because someone else has given you that gift. So um, focused really on the people that were getting them, of course, I have to have to manage the cost of that. So making sure that not only people get them, but they remain well-educated and they get a whole lot of the appropriate follow-up so that they can keep that organ uh, from being rejected by their own body uh, for a very long period of time. So This is what I want to say, sign the back of your driver's license right isn't that what the, right you know uh-huh. um, donate yep. donate PSA that's for that. mm-hmm. right now are you clinical do you have a no. clinical background yeah so you, no I mean, just kind of a sponge <laughs> wow <laughs> you've learned you've learned over time <laughs> absolutely absolutely we do that so i'm in healthcare services and i'm not a nurse and i'm not a social worker but you definitely pick up things after quite a few years um of working in, in care management but and so now your current role, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So um, today I have uh, really, I guess I would call it three teams. So we talked about Care Decision Insights and really the work they do to help physicians. And, and now, especially now that we're going to start putting some of this information um, out publicly for our members, um, helping them find value in their communities, help them find quality in their communities. So, you know, in a more traditional way of describing it you know we go out as teams and they're not just teams that report to me but teams and in, in the divisions and the regions all the way through you know provider engagement provider contracting regional medical directors actual cdi medical directors the conversations we're having with doctors are uh, empowering instructive it's it's a way to share information with them that lets them understand you know the ecosystem the healthcare community around them and where they can find and unlock that value so, you, you know, they may refer to one group and there may be better efficiency and better quality delivered in another group in town. And it's typically not 100 and zero. It's, it's usually, 
43% of their business goes here, and you know, and they break it up into some pieces, and we just try to explain to them that, again, according to the data, um, there's a better chance at quality and a better chance at value in another group or with a different physician. So it starts there, but it goes on to where the care is delivered. So we have something called IPOP, inpatient to outpatient, where we look at certain services that are delivered in the inpatient setting and, and when it's appropriate clinically, see if we can have that same service delivered on a member in the outpatient setting, outpatient mm. hospital, even the Less cost. Less cost. Better experience. If, for the member. Yeah, the way, the way we have displayed it, I think, in a couple of uh, big meetings is, you know, we've shown people, you know, even look local he, locally here. If you were going to be in the hospital or even the outpatient hospital here downtown, you'd get a, a map, right, of how to find the parking garage and what street you have to turn off mm-hmm. of and it's sure. it's a little daunting and then once you get parked you've got a very large facility to find your way through to make sure you get to the right place on time um and that's just pre-surgical right then you have family and friends and people go on a visit and they can all go through that or maybe there's an office building here in town that has ambulatory surgical capabilities that could do that for you because clinically that would make sense for you or be okay for you to be in that setting and you may be able to pull up and park right in front of the door. Your entrance and exits might be separated so that you don't have to walk out past all the people that are about to go in, et cetera. I mean, there's more privacy issues there. Um, but there's there are opportunities just to create a better experience around that mm-hmm. by, again, when clinically appropriate, seeing that right. our seniors as well as our, our commercial folks can find a way into just a less anxiety-producing kind of environment for the care that they receive. Are are physicians, are they receptive? Or or is that, you see that evolving? They are. And and there's a number of reasons, I think, why they are receptive. Some of it is, some of it is they can find a way to be efficient. Because if you think about them in generally, whether you're talking about surgery or even talking about you know, a GI doc or you know, colonoscopy or endoscopy, wherever they do go, they need to be efficient. They need to be able to move as many people through the system as quickly as possible. Um, in our case, and, you know, certainly the work that we're looking at, um, a hospital can be efficient. Well-run hospitals and ORs certainly can be efficient. Um, but not all of them can be as efficient as an ambulatory surgery center that only has one focus and doesn't have an emergency room. <laughs> Because if you had a multi-vehicle accident, yeah, someone may someone may be scheduling something in an OR at 2 o'clock. But there mm-hmm. are sometimes reasons why that OR won't be open at 2 o'clock. And right. so everything begins to get upset. Hmm. Uh, and when you've got family in town and friends in town and people ready to care for you and everything else, and all of a sudden you get, didn't get to have surgery that day or even, you know, in the morning, now it's the evening. You can, you can uh, again, from an experienced perspective of the patient, a delay is just more time to worry. And for all the family and friends and caregivers, et cetera, you actually can uh, have them go through having to make a lot of changes to work or changes mm-hmm. to uh, how they were going to help uh, support that patient. So, And absolutely, that has been founded over and over again, like in the power of teams, kind of an overlying theme that I'm hearing because we have, there's really efficient teams that can, or clinical care teams and can help get things done. And there was a, a study done um by in cardiologists, how cardiologists, no matter how many hours they had, if they were using robotic surgery or not, they would perform different at different hospitals. So their outcomes drastically changed over the teams that surrounded them, and they could have better success results with the team 
and it's also been found in airlines that that fly together. You could have a team that has, you know, done two red-eye flights and then, you know, they're sleep-deprived, but they're teams that have worked together before, so they statistically perform better, have less incidents and less accidents than a brand-new team working together the first time. So that was that was really interesting and in how we're trying to help connect the pieces with all of the providers from the PCP referring out and helping coordinate the care um, all the way down to our, you know, care managers and healthcare services. And also, we've mentioned value. And so around, I think it was 2015, Meaningful Use and those things came in and ICD-10. And there was a shift from volume care over to value care. Um, can you kind of talk how Humana has tried to incorporate that and how we've made that shift? Sure. You know, <laughs> value. So, you know, I talk about it. I think we all talk about it. I, in my head, I've always thought of value as being quality divided by cost. But I've learned, and certainly a part of a lot of the strategies we have within the value-based strategies team or teams, and even within the CDI in general, value is probably quality divided by cost plus experience. So there's just a little bit more of an equation here. And uh, the more we dive into the physician conversation around who do you choose as a partner and why, there is a, a, a definite demand to understand where care is delivered efficiently. Because patients will say to the physician, I don't know if I can afford that. Or I can't believe you sent me there. Do you have any idea what my bill was? You know, So they, they, they tend to get that feedback, whether that's in the primary care setting or, or, or through a specialist in their care. But quality for them sometimes is undefinable. We go back to an easy hip replacement. You can say that you know, the quality was that I'm now up and moving and doing some of the things that I couldn't even do even a year prior to actually having the surgery because I'd spent so, time, so much time kind of, quote, unquote, dealing with the pain and just trying to ignore it. It's a little bit harder to define, but quality for someone who has cancer, you know, we'd all say, well, of course, that's survivorship. But maybe it's not. And maybe then we have to stop and think about their experience. And so one of the, I don't know if I'd call it an epiphany, but I can remember sitting in front of some uh, patients that we'd brought in who were cancer survivors and and uh, just being able to sit and kind of ask them questions. And we kind of talked about the fact that there might be, and you think perfect experience and perfect service. So, man, I, you know, this, this kind of... Uh, shocked me because I'd, I'd made a couple connections there sitting in front of this woman who uh, had breast cancer and she was talking about a friend of hers that had also gone through it but not fared as well and we landed on the fact that someone might be able to have a perfect experience even though they don't survive mm -hmm. and that was really hard to wrap my head around because all I thought about was the agony and the grief and the sadness and everything but you still it, but if everyone that goes through that has to deal with that to some extent, there's some differentiating factor that says that even though they had to go through that and ultimately didn't survive, that every time they had to have an interaction with the healthcare system, it was as ideal as an interaction possible. as possible. And so when you started to think about the, the way that a caregiver not only provided the care, but the empathy that they received mm -hmm. and the, the ease of use, right, the sharing of information, the education, the fact that certain physicians and practices focused on their family members just as much as they did then, you know, created a very different experience for them where if they were around to describe it, they would have said, I know what I experienced and the way I experienced it was dignified, right? Was um, respectful that 
people cared for me as a person, as an individual, and that as best we could, we prepared my family. It's the so, full episode, like you were saying, from ab- beginning absolutely. to end. And, Continuity of care. And then you have to add in the quality of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many everybody's experience is different so I can only imagine how when you had these folks in interviewing them there there could be two females the same age mm-hmm. or male female very different uh, outcomes very different outcomes what was their quality of life built leading up to it they right. may have had the very same diagnoses but so this this kind of gets back to so mm-hmm. the value so when I think about value now you know, I, I want quality to be the best. I want cost to be the least. Mm-hmm. I want the, and then I want to add experience to that. And that's mm-hmm. something that we're working very hard mm-hmm. on trying to find a way not only to collect information about someone's experience, but maybe more, more importantly, and probably the hardest thing we'll do is find a way to make it digestible and compelling to the next person. And by the next person, I mean our membership, but I certainly mean to a physician as well. Because I think we'll go a lot further to talk to a doctor about this is where you can get quality and this is where you can get efficiency. But more importantly, and I think to them too, and certainly the feedback they'll get if it isn't right, right? Here's where people seem to have a great experience. Hey there, listeners. That's all the time we have for this week, but our conversation isn't over. Make sure to catch part two of our interview with Ross Loggerblade to find out more about how we're aggregating data to really prove our value-based strategies in the healthcare system. And that's it for this episode. You can share your thoughts on our WNRG Buzz page or by tagging us, hashtag WNRG Podcast Series. Until next time, be intentional, stay curious, and inspire others. 